0: So we are continuing uh, our march through the book of Matthew, just the gift of being able as a church family to work through a book of the Bible together. Uh, My name is Owen and I'm one of the pastors here and I want you to know that as we go through this time of worship, as we go through this time of looking at God's word, at the end of the sermon, we do things differently from, from time to time. But at the end of the sermon today, we're going to have an introspective prayer time. In other words, we won't stand up and have maybe a, a traditional invitation today. I want to guide you through some prayer points at the end of the sermon. But I do want you to hear this, that when we close at that time, we have ministers that remain up here at the front, and we would be honored to pray for you. I know we come into this room with all kinds of hurts physical things going on, relational problems, things going on in your workplace. We wanna be able to serve your family in that way. And so, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I really wish somebody would've uh, responded at the invitation. I'm like, well, actually, five people did. It was just two minutes after the service closed. And we know that there, just because we stop at 11.45, in no way does that mean that our time of worship or our time of God's work among us has, has stopped. And so, we want you to know that, that that's a possibility. One other thing I would say that if you're a guest of ours, in two weeks coming up, we have what we call Discover Emmaus. Uh, March the 3rd, immediately after our morning worship gathering, we have a free, no obligation lunch. You can come to that, you can meet the staff, hear more about the church, what's going on, how to get involved if you're trying to figure out where God is leading you to be a part of a church, and so that comes up in two weeks, and we would love for you to be there. We'd love to be able to provide a meal for your family and you to be able to meet us, and if you have little ones, uh, we have childcare available during that lunch as well. So if you missed the offering plate as it was coming around, just hand me that card or hand one of our uh, leaders that card after the service, and we will get you signed up for that. So when did you know about that. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 4, and today we are going to work from verse 12 down through the end of the chapter in verse 25. So let's read this portion of Scripture together. It says in verse 12, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those affected with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we have gathered here, together to worship you, God, that when we gather like this, it's a continuation. We hope of worship we've given you throughout the week. For many of us, it's a chance to refocus. God, that we are are gathered with others. Just like was said earlier on stage, it reminds us that we are not alone. God, that you were with us and that you have placed people around us. God, I pray specifically this morning for those who do come into the room hurting God, maybe something is going on physically. Maybe they're in a difficult relationship. Maybe it's been a long time since they've been in a church building. But God, you have brought them here. God, and I pray that in a deep way that they would be reminded of your love. God, that what we talk about this morning, God, that there is hope because of Christ. God, that whatever we are facing, that we can look to him. And as we do, God, we find one who has overcome sin and death. And so whatever kind of fear or guilt or shame we bring, God, we lay that before you. We pray that you would remind us of what it means to repent and follow him. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I know that video passed by quickly there during the offering, but one thing I love about that particular video that the International Mission Board puts out is it's a reminder to us, of how God is at work all around the world. Uh, When I was in, actually just after graduation from college, so that summer after graduation from college, I had a chance to go to Southeast Asia to a country called Cambodia, and one of the times that we were there in Cambodia, we were interacting with a Buddhist monk, and he was probably about our age, early 20s, and we were telling him about Jesus and sharing this message with him, and he looked back with us, and he said, thank you for sharing that. i very interested in that. I appreciate that. He said, but the only problem is, Jesus is the Western God. He's the American God, and we are here, and so we have our own gods. And we wanted so badly to say, no, 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 not the Western God. Jesus of all religious figures, whatever you might think about religion, is not confined to the West, and definitely not to America. That He's the God of the entire globe, but it's so Easy for us to, our mind to think that the kingdom of God is in this location or only pertains to this particular area of the world. I know this will sound silly um, and hopefully not self-serving, but when I'm driving up here early on Sunday mornings, and I know time zones don't work for this imagination, but, but what I'll do is I'm driving up here, I'll imagine what it is for another preacher or another pastor in another part of the world to be riding his bike maybe 15 or 20 miles to to get to the church that he's going. Or the pastor who has walked under the cover of darkness to make it to his particular congregation because of the possibility of persecution. And so, as I'm driving here to the place that God has called us together to worship, it's a way of reminding myself this is not the only place that the kingdom of God is at work. That when Jesus came, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so there's a question we have to ask. Where is that kingdom? And immediately we have to guard ourselves because the kingdom of God is not confined to a location. When you read in your Bible, kingdom of heaven, think about the reign of God. It's not kingdom localized. It's God's power and God's glory over particular people as they respond to his salvation, as they come under his judgment. And so when you think about kingdom, Think about it in that way, and then go back to verse 12. When you go back to verse 12, and we think about where the reign of God is going to come as people were asking this question, you get this in verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, a couple of things are happening in verse 12. Part of what Matthew is doing in writing this is he is again connecting the ministry of Jesus back to chapter 3 in the ministry of John the Baptist. John was arrested because he spoke truth to power. He told Herod Antipas, you can't have another man's wife, especially your brother's wife, that that is outside of the law of God. And because of that, he was arrested and ultimately ultimately killed. And so when this happens, Jesus withdraws from that area, not out of fear, but he withdraws to another area that God is taking him, and it says he withdraws to Galilee. Galilee is up in the northern area of the Holy Land, and you will be so excited. I found my laser pointer this week. It's been missing for going on probably a year now, but it Magically, not magically, providentially Returned to me this week So uh, look at this next slide So verse 13 Leaving Nazareth He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea Okay, if you look up here Oh, that's not going to work very well If you look up here at this map You have the Sea of Galilee Right here And Nazareth is back over here to the west I'm going to point down here If you're looking at this screen This is where Jerusalem is So down in the southern area is Jerusalem, the area of even Bethlehem, where Jesus was born down here. Here's the Jordan River that goes up to the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus goes up here into the northern area. As you kind of hold that map in your mind throughout the sermon, let me point you to an area way up here to the north. This is a place called Caesarea Philippi. Here's what happens In the book of Matthew. And this is important to understand even how this entire story works with Jesus. So the story starts down in the south. Around Jerusalem and Bethlehem in this area. In this verse we find that Jesus withdraws to the north. So he heads up north to Galilee. He's going to go all the way up to Caesarea Philippi in chapter 16. And there Peter is going to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the whole story is going to reverse in chapter 16 and head back south. And it's all going to go back south until Jesus' crucifixion there in Jerusalem in the south. And then you know what happens in chapter 28? Jesus goes back to Galilee in the north and meets up with the disciples. So the entire book of Matthew you can trace as a move from south to north, north back to south, and then at the very end, he goes back to the north. You say, well hey, thanks for the geography lesson, but what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, look at the next verse. The next verse, it says, this was spoken so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Again, the movements of Jesus aren't accidental. They're fulfillment of God's plan. What is this prophecy? Verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. What is happening here as Jesus moves to the north, he's moving out of the predominantly Jewish area and he's definitely moving out of the area of religious power and he's going up north, he's going to the Galilee of the Gentiles, for what reason? Verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. What does Jesus tell us? I've come to call sinners and not the righteous. I've come for those who are sick, not those who think they are well. When the kingdom of God comes, it comes not in the area of religious power, it comes in the place of darkness, the place of death, the place of pain. The people in religious power say, oh, not there, there's no way the kingdom of God could come there, and God says, not only have I come there, but I've told you for centuries that I was going to come there. Because when my kingdom of light comes, it shines into the darkest places. Which is a good reminder that the kingdom of God is not held back by geography, not held back by population statistics, not held back by any ethnicity. That when the kingdom of heaven comes, when the kingdom of God comes, it comes even there. And this is also good news because it means the kingdom of God, that God reigns, even in your home, not just the home down the street where they seem to have it all together. When you say to yourself, I am in darkness, I am at my lowest point, I do not know where to turn, if I could just get myself together, I bet God would do something really great in our home, and God is saying, no, 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 it is when you are weakest, it is when you are most in need of me that my light shines most brightly, that my kingdom comes to reign because you're no longer trying to reign. You're no longer trying to control that area. You say, here it is, I have nothing to offer, and God says, that's when I show up and do my greatest work. Hans Dillbeck, who is the... Uh, trying to think of the way to say this. He's the leader for Oklahoma Southern Baptist, uh, Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. Hans is what's called our executive director. One of the greatest guys I know, I I think the world of him and what he's doing. One of the things he's talking about for our state, for Baptist churches, is that we would be willing to embrace brokenness. Uh, There's a quote from Hans where he says, Jesus teaches us to embrace brokenness as an opportunity for the gospel. When we see darkness or hurt, we don't run away from that. We run toward that because that's exactly where God's going to work. Every time you read about a problem in Oklahoma, you are discovering, discovering an opportunity for the gospel. So you read the news, you see things happening around you in your city or your state, and you say, man, if we could ever get things together, I bet God would really bring revival here. And Hans is saying, when you see those difficulties, when you see those problems, our immediate thought is, God, how are you going to work in that situation? And more than that, how are you going to use us? You don't have to spend very long around Jim Lehu for him to tell you that he really believes that God is leading Emmaus into harder places, more difficult places that our goal as a church is not to see how smoothly we can coast into the future so as not to cause difficulty and everyone to have a nice ride. Jim's heart, which reflects all of this, is God, you may be leading us into some hard places, some hard places as a church, some hard places that you would take us, because when we go there, your light is shining in those situations, that your kingdom shines into the darkest places. How do we get to that place? How does that happen? Verse 17, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we have the mindset that God's kingdom is in all places, that he reigns over all the earth? It's when our heart is right with him. Because, hear me out on this, when I recognize my own brokenness, and my own need for repentance, and my own need for the Lord, it makes me so much more caring, and compassionate, and loving to others who are hurting. When I think I have it all together, I think I step into somebody else's trouble, and I fix their problem. When I recognize my own brokenness, and my own need for repentance, I know I, on my own power, don't have anything to give to that person who's hurting, but I can port them to Jesus because I know how good he is. And so how will God lead Emmaus into harder places? When we become a place of repentance and brokenness before him. How will God take my life and my family into hard places? When we repent and we trust in him. When we get this right, he drives us into places that we can never go on our own power. But it's not just location, it's also people. Look at verse 18. So not only does God's kingdom reign there, but verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, and so Matthew purposely picks up Galilee again so we'll know where it's located. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Just a quick point there uh, to kind of see what Matthew was doing, Simon, is a very Hebrew, uh, Semitic style name. Andrew is a more Greek name. So here, even in listing their names, Matthew is telling us that the ministry of Jesus is going to go into mixed backgrounds, mixed mixed ethnicities. You don't have to have the right name for Jesus to work in your life. Uh, Where Amanda and I lived previously in Mississippi, uh, we had a joke that if if you did not have one of five particular last names in this community, you were never going to be an insider. Like there were five different last names you had to have, and if you had one of those names, you had access to all the places you wanted to go. You could get elected to all the offices you wanted to get elected to. If you didn't have one of those names, you weren't going to get in there. This was the same part of the world that Brett Favre uh, went to high school, and so one of Brett's cousins was in our church and told us about what. Uh, Not upstanding, (laughs) always citizen uh, Brett was, but you had the Farves who spelled their last name F A V R E, and then you had the Farves, and they didn't talk to each other because they came from different backgrounds. And so you had to have the right name to have access. Jesus here says, I'm gonna go to Simon and I'm gonna go to Andrew. It doesn't matter your family's background. It doesn't matter your social standing. This is where the kingdom of God is going to come. And not only that, but it comes to fishermen. And this is gonna sound cheesy when it comes out, but I need to say it because it works for the whole story. It makes sense of Matthew. Jesus comes to fishermen, not Pharisees. Jesus comes to the common person who doesn't bring the religious background or the pedigree to the table. He doesn't come to the Pharisees who say, look at us, we have it all together. And so the gospel of Matthew, the reign of the kingdom of God, is made for fishermen, not Pharisees. And we see that in the very next verse. What does Jesus do in verse 19? He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, you can read whole books, obviously, about what it means to to follow Jesus. Uh, A couple of things I'd want to point out to you here. That follow me begins with allegiance to Jesus. That our focus is on him. Jesus is calling the disciples not to follow a particular way of life. And this is what makes Christianity so different from other religions in the world. It's not, hey, here's an instruction book, here's some ideals, go after this. What's his call? Follow me. That Christianity is about a life focused on Jesus, not a particular shared set of values that that we all have. It's allegiance to Jesus. And the only way you have that allegiance to Jesus is if you leave your boat behind You leave your past behind. You leave even your family behind, Jesus will say, and you follow him. You leave the past and you're focused on him. The analogy here is marriage. Leave and cleave. Leave your family, your background, and follow after, be connected to one other person. Jesus is saying, leave your past and follow me. So we we leave those things, and in doing that, He changes the purpose of our life. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Now here's something you have to understand about this on being fishers of men. It's weird language to to our ears. But when you read that language in the Old Testament in preparation for the kingdom of God coming, it meant announcing salvation, but it also meant announcing judgment. And so Jesus says, when you come after me, you're gonna proclaim a way of salvation But it's not, hey, follow Jesus if that works out for you. It's follow Jesus because he is the king of the universe. And if you don't, you're separating yourself from him. And so fishers of men is put out this call that you would come to Jesus. It's not even an invitation as much as it is a command and a demand that you would give your life to him. And the other thing about being fishers of men is when you follow Jesus, you're called to action. And this is good news. In this culture, many people would follow after a rabbi because they wanted to learn the rabbi's knowledge. They would follow after that person. They wanted to learn from them, become like them. But when you follow Jesus, he says, I'm not, I'm not going to give you just information. I'm going to call you to action. And so where the kingdom of God reigns is not where the people have the most information, but where they have the most obedience they say, yes, I will follow you wherever you go. And best of all, you don't do this alone. When we think about fishing, and I don't know your experience uh, with with fishing, but when you think about fishing in a contemporary context, I think about one person with a pole throwing it out there and the introvert side of me says, I really hope I'm doing that with nobody around me. I know that sounds terrible, but... uh, (laughs) um, I'm just throwing the pole and reeling it in, it's an individual sport. For most of human history, fishing has not been an individual sport. It's something that to carry these nets and to do this work, you did with others. And so the kingdom of God, when it's called to be fishers of men, it's a work of partnership. It matters that Jesus' first act in his ministry was to call groups of people. He called them in twos, and he called them into a group. When God's kingdom comes to reign in your life, it's not just about you. He calls us together in partnership. The kingdom and the church are connected. When you're called and you see God reign in your life, he says, I'm gonna put you together with others. This is not an individual sport. What happens next? Verse 21. Verse 21 says, going on from there, He saw two other brothers. So it's a sign that what Jesus did before, he's gonna continue to do. He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And what happens in 22? The same thing. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Okay, in light of time, there's a whole discussion here about the ministry of Jesus and healing and how that relates to the kingdom of God. And because we're going through Matthew a piece at a time, we're going to devote an entire section to thinking through this question of sickness and healing and the kingdom of God and how that works. For right now, let me say this. What Matthew is trying to do from the very beginning is to say that the sicknesses and the pains of this world will not stop the kingdom of God from advancing. It's Matthew's way of saying, where does God's kingdom show up most clearly? It's among those who are hurting, hurting both physically, emotionally, mentally. You may be in a situation where you think you have no idea the sickness and pain that I'm facing. and I would say you're probably right, but he does know. And that is no hindrance to his kingdom at work in your life, to his kingdom at work in your family for what you're, what you're facing. Now does that mean immediately that that disease is taken away? No, not, not always does it but it does mean that he is ultimately victorious over that disease. Because what you find in the coming of Jesus is that when he proclaims salvation for sins, the temptation to sin doesn't go away immediately. And when Jesus says, I've risen from the dead, you do not have to fear death, it doesn't mean that sickness and death immediately go away. We still live in a world where we face temptation, we face sickness, But we know that both sin and death have been defeated, and so it changes the way we live in the world around us. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. One of the things we're going to have to pay attention to as we go through Matthew is there is a purposeful distinction between the disciples and the crowds. Matthew's gonna to continue to develop this throughout his gospel, but there are some people who are dedicated to following Jesus in a very particular way. There's others that are more on the fringe, more in the crowd, that they're interested in Jesus. They like the free food and the fish. They like the healing that they see. They like their connection. Uh, But Jesus was terrible with church growth. He would say something controversial, and all the crowd would go away, and then they would kind of come back to him, and then they would go away again. You see this group out on the side, this crowd group, but inside there was this group of disciples. What does that say to us? Here's what it says. We in America in the 21st century are so tempted to say, hey, look at that big crowd over there. I bet the kingdom of God is really at work there. And look at this little group over here. Eh, If they really got together, I bet God would do something great among them. We are so close to being deceived about the connection between a large group of people means the kingdom of God's really at work, and a small group means God's not there. In fact, when you see scripture, it's usually reversed. That there's a tendency to say the crowds are just kind of in it for what they can get, What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And so as we go through Matthew, we're going to have to pay attention to what does it really look like to be a disciple and what does it look like to be a part of a crowd. And in a way that I do not mean to be disrespectful in any way, that same conversation applies to being a part of a church and being a follower of Jesus right now. We have to ask ourselves, do I like just to be a part of the crowd or am I really following Jesus? Have I given my allegiance to him? Have I turned from the past? Am I connected with others? Am I living my life in a new way for new purposes? Or do I just like to get caught up in the crowd, what what is happening around me? And so like I say, I don't mean to say that in a way that's disrespectful, I mean to say it in a way that we have to look at our hearts. God, if your kingdom is reigning in my life, it's not hey, let me be part of the crowd, it's hey, let me follow Jesus. Because that's where true life is found. Okay, so there's no geographical boundaries to the reign of God. And there's no personal boundaries to the reign of God. So what does the reign of God look like? Well, on your notes, it talks about a kingdom mentality and a kingdom mission. Kingdom mentality is this. Verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand And follow me, for I will make you fishers of men. How do I know? Here's what I'm trying to help you with. Here's what I'm trying to help all of us with. How do I know if the kingdom of God is reigning in my life? If you're dead serious this morning and say, I am going to give myself to this. I want to know what this looks like. How do I know if this is happening in my life? Am I a person of humble repentance And am I a person of devoted following of Jesus? And here's the trick. (laughs) Neither one of those is one-time realities. This is an ongoing direction. If you like the word orientation or posture of my life, I'm not sure the word that would, would help you out there the most. What direction is my life going? It's not about, hey, I've reached a particular destination. It's about where's my life pointed? When I think about my heart, when I think about my life, am I humbly repenting because I see my need for the Lord and am I wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus? No matter the situation, no matter what I'm facing, those realities are there in my life. God, I trust you, I turn from my sins, I need you. Show me what it looks like to live my life for you, that that's our mentality, that's the direction we're going. And if that is the case, It leads to a kingdom mission. So if I have a mind that says I'm going to repent and follow Jesus, what is the mission? Well, it comes out of verse 23. And there's a couple of points there as you kind of follow through verse 23. Verse 23 says that Jesus went about teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, let me tell you something cool about verses 23 to 25, and you can kind of make a note along the side of your Bible if you'd like to write write in there. Chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, are the first part of a framework that's completed in chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Okay, so when you think about the book of Matthew in your mind, Matthew is purposely making a statement here at the end of chapter 4 that he is going to come back and almost purposefully repeat in chapter 9, 35 to 38, there at the end of that chapter. So he's causing this, kind of think of parentheses or, or a framework that he's setting up. What is Jesus doing in his ministry? He's speaking and he's acting. He's saying words about the kingdom and he's displaying actions about the kingdom. Chapters 5 through 7 that we're about to go into in Matthew are the words of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 8 through 9 are the actions of the kingdom, what happens when the kingdom comes. So here's what Matthew does. Chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, he says Jesus spoke about the kingdom and he lived it out. Let me give you three chapters of his speaking Here's two chapters of his actions. I'm going to come back in chapter 9 and wrap it up with a bow and then continue the book from there. Now, Adamaeus, if you hang out for 30 seconds around here, you know that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. Proclaim is what we do with our words, display is what we do with our actions. And we don't say that because we couldn't think of anything else to say about our church. We say that because it comes right off the pages of Scripture. This is exactly what Matthew is doing here in this section. This is why he's laying out the ministry of Jesus. When you're a part of the kingdom of God, you speak about certain things and you live out certain things. You proclaim Jesus and you display Jesus. How do we proclaim Jesus? We speak Jesus about the gospel. We speak about the things of the kingdom. Sometimes it's preaching, it has a little bit more of an external proclamation. Sometimes it's teaching, it's a little bit more internal, passing along. Whatever it is though, it's about telling people the good news of Jesus. How do we display the gospel? We sacrifice for the good of others. We display mercy to those who are hurting. This is the idea, we we create weird competition debates in, in church life. Sometimes you'll hear conversations that say something like, should we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus verbally with people, or should we do actions to help people in need and reach out to those who are sick and care for people? How are those opposites? In the ministry of Jesus, those are always interconnected. Should I love my neighbor? Absolutely. Should I care for people who are hurting and sick? We better be at the front lines of doing that. Should I tell them about Jesus? How could you care for their physical needs and not at the same time want to share the good news of Jesus and his salvation and resurrection with them? And I've already referenced Jim once before, but I want to do that again. When we think about missions at Emmaus, what kind of work God is calling us to do as a church We want to meet needs. And Emmaus has an incredible history of meeting needs in our community and around the world. But Jim's heart and the heart of our church is that as we do those things, we're sharing the good news of Jesus and his salvation and the hope that we have beyond this life. And so we care for people and we share the gospel at the same time. Let me point you to a final slide as we wrap up. Here in just a second, we're going to have a time of prayer, a time of looking at our own hearts and our own lives. During that time of prayer, David is going to play and sing over our church an old hymn called, I Surrender All. When you think about this passage in Matthew chapter 4, that song, I Surrender All, comes to mind. Here's the questions I want you to ask yourself. Have I repented and trusted in Jesus? And even better, turn that into a present tense. Am I repenting and trusting in Jesus? Is that the direction? Is that the mentality of my life? Has God called me here this morning because he is calling me to repent and trust in Jesus? Is that why I'm here this morning? Secondly, am I following him? Where is he calling me to go? Who's he calling me to minister to? And what is he calling me to do? And here's something very specific I'd ask you to do during that prayer time. If in your mind there is a location or a person or a group of people that deep down you would say there's no way that God's kingdom could ever break into that person's life. Or there's no way God's kingdom could ever break into that location. Would you ask God to change your heart about that? Because very likely, God's going to send you to that location and to that person to share his love with them because we know there's no geographical bounds, there's no personal bounds that hold back the reign of God. His light shines when we are ready to repent and follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me ask you during this time, as you're thinking about your own life, your own heart, what you're facing right now, do you know what it is to repent and trust in Jesus for salvation? You say, I'm no longer in charge of my life, have all kinds of difficulty in my past, But I know that Jesus has taken all of that. And I don't come before him in my own strength. I come because of what he has done in dying on the cross for me and rising from the dead. And so I trust in him. That's my hope for eternity. If you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, I'd call you and urge you to do that today. The moment this song is finished, that you would come and speak to someone at the front, that you would find someone you know and turn to them and share with them about God's work in your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, as David plays this song, as you pray right where you are God, where are you sending me? Who have you called me to minister to? What have you called me to do? I want to follow you, I want to be part of your kingdom. Use this couple of minutes right now right where you are to call out to the Lord. Jesus. Just another minute. Call out to the Lord right where you are. Ask Him to work in your life right now. Oh, to Jesus I surrender. Make me say no Nothing you're facing holds Him back. Stand with us, we're gonna sing this together. love to pray for you. We'd love to hear about God's work in your life. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you Emmaus. Have a great week.